Hi, I'm Bree, and you're listening to CrewCast. Before we start this episode, I'd like to give a quick disclaimer that neither Roy, Jake, nor myself are actual doctors or mental health professionals. None of what we say can or should be taken for actual professional or medical advice. I would also like to offer this as a trigger warning since we do touch on subjects like depression, anxiety, and suicide. If you think you or someone you know would like to seek out professional help, I've linked some resources below. With that being said, thanks for tuning in and enjoy the episode. Hello everyone, my name is Bree and welcome to another episode of CrewCast. I am joined today by Roy and by Jake. Say hi guys. Hi. Hola. And today we are going to be talking about writing with mental illness. So why don't we explain and introduce ourselves to the audience and what writing with mental illness means to us. Uh, Roy, do you want to go first? Hi, my name is Roy. Uh, I have depression. For how it affects me personally, some suicidal ideation, there's some days of no energy, there's some very negative thoughts, there's some like anger, bitterness, but like it, it comes and goes. It's life. And how it affects my writing? Well, you know, on one hand, I got that sympathy. Uh, I like seeing characters who are written with mental illness and being portrayed well. But on the other hand, I, like, can barely write most of the time. Or not most of the time, but, like, there are times where I just can't write, which really sucks because I really want to, but I'm just so exhausted that it's pretty much impossible for me. Hi, everyone. As I've said already, my name is Bree. I have depression and anxiety. I got the worst two-for-one deal you can possibly get. And I can relate to Roy in that a lot of days um, motivation is down. It feels like the biggest task in the world to get out of bed some days. And the great thing about having anxiety and depression at the same time is that they feed off of each other. So because I get anxious mostly over things that I can't control and they have an effect in my interpersonal relationships, I tend to put things off for irrational fears, and the longer I do that, the more I can get depressed about it, and it just goes in this wonderful, wonderful circle of not getting anything done and then feeling guilty about it later. I am in treatment for these things. I have a prescription for antidepressants from a doctor, and I'm also supplementing it with therapy, but it becomes very hard to write most days because when you have a lack of motivation and what it feels like an impossible Herculean task to simply function as a human being some days, writing, even though it is something that brings me joy, it kind of goes on the back burner when your only goal of the day is to survive. So your writing kind of gets put to the sidelines, whether you want it to or not. And writing can also be difficult because even things like workshops can trigger my anxiety. I remember one time being in a workshop where it was myself and another person who were getting our pieces critiqued. I had read her piece, I thought it was vastly superior to mine, so I was very scared about what I was going to receive in terms of feedback. And to make things worse, that was the day when the professor was sitting in on our workshop group and also giving us feedback, and before it was time for us to do the workshop, I completely shut down. <laughs> 
doing workshops and getting feedback and being part of a writing community, even though it is something that is very dear to me and very important, can be very difficult to do because of the nature of my mental illness and how it works. And even though I'm on medication and I'm seeking treatment and my symptoms of mental illness are a little bit easier to manage, they never fully go away. So I'm going to have days where it just comes out of nowhere and hits me really hard. And there's not a lot I can do. There's some healthy like coping mechanisms I've picked up, but it's always going to be there and it's always going to be a part of my life. And I think, Roy, you'll agree with me, the thing about mental illness is because it's in your brain, there is no part of our lives that remain unaffected by our mental illnesses. It is always there and it is always pervasive, even in the things that are maybe supposed to be a respite from it. Yeah, I would say that's true. I, I think you could say that about a lot of things in life, but it's definitely true for depression. Like, even when I'm not feeling depressed, it's sort of like a, um, a light and dark thing where, like, the moments when I'm not depressed are defined by the absence of depression. If I didn't have depression in the first place, they would be very different. Just because it's, I'm like, you know, I know that this is one of my, I'm in a good mood states, but eventually I will return back to being depressed. And it definitely profoundly changes your viewpoint and like the way you see the world. Sort of like socioeconomic status, where you grow up, culture, all that sort of stuff. Mental illness is a nice little bow tie to add on to that long list of things that changes how you see the world. Well, with all this talk about our mental illnesses and our experience with it, we should introduce the third guest on our show, which is Jake. So Jake, tell us a bit about yourself and why you've decided to join us today. I'm Jake. I'm just here to like balance out the rest of you folks, since I'm apparently the uh, token neurotypical guy around here. I would not say you're typical. Jake is here because he brings a unique perspective in that you do not typically experience mental illness. Now we've explored and we will explore throughout this podcast a little bit what it means to us and how our writing process is affected by our mental illness and how we experience things and how that leads us to creating art. But I wanted to talk about kind of the elephant in the room, which is the misconception that artists need to be depressed or suffer for their art and that good art should come out of suffering. And I'm really interested to hear both of your thoughts on that. Why don't we start with Jake? I think sometimes it takes a little suffering for good art to come out. Okay, sometimes when you're suffering, you're in a state of like anguish, you're alone, and you want to be heard. And sometimes our outlet is art. And during those like deepest, darkest moments, something powerful comes out. I think there's a point to where lived experience and feeling like real emotion and often like raw emotion can be a really powerful thing to transfer into writing. And that when one draws on emotional and real experiences, it can enhance one's writing because it comes from a very real place. I think the flip side to that is there's kind of this romanticization of being depressed or having mental illness as an artist that you must be and you must suffer greatly for your art. And I think when it comes to being, say, in a depressive episode, that I would have to disagree with the concept that you must be horribly, horribly sad to create anything good. And I say that because 
when I'm feeling depressed or when I'm in a depressive episode or where I'm, when I'm having an anxiety attack, creating and writing is the last thing I want to do. As I've said before, it just is a matter of surviving the day. And so any kind of creative activity is not on my priorities list. And actually, this misconception was one of the reasons why I was hesitant to seek treatment in the first place. As I mentioned earlier, I am on medication that has been prescribed to me from a doctor. And one of the questions I asked myself before I started taking that medication was, am I going to lose whatever creative spark I have? Or is this medication going to dull me out? And... I kind of had to reason myself like, first of all, you silly, you have to have a creative spark for it to be dulled out in the first place. But secondly, I found it had the opposite effect. Because I was on medication and seeking treatment, I was actually able to function better as a human being. And so that left me with more energy, with more motivation, and with more functionality to do the things that I love. And so I think this idea that like great art can come out of like a depressive episode or from very like raw, like personal emotion is true. It can, but it shouldn't have to. And you also should not be required to produce when you're in a state of poor mental health. The way I look at it is I'm trying to do something creative or trying to write when you're in a depressive or an anxious episode is like trying to run a race with a cast on. You can do it, but it's going to be a very slow, painful process and you might end up hurting yourself more by the end of it. That's where I would have to refute the idea and say, no, that isn't true. I think artists make good art when they are functional. I think that feelings of sadness and feelings of depression or anxiety can inspire good art or very emotional art, but that can't really be done or it is hard to be done when you can barely function um roy what if let's hear from you what do you think i think i would disagree in terms of with both of you i guess i think the thing that people miss out on when they talk about like oh you need to be you need to suffer or you need to be really sad to create good art is the fact that it's not that suffering itself is like the only thing required to be good art it's a subcategory of the thing that actually matters which is you need something that you really care about and that's something that's like really important to you to write about and that can be suffering it can be like a really traumatic or horrible thing that happened to you it can be these feelings that you've been grappling with of like sadness or depression but it doesn't have to be there's lots of great artists out there who have made amazing pieces of art that aren't focused on sadness or suffering. They're focused on other things in their life that they really cared about, like love or the experience of being a father or all sorts of things. They're based on good things that have happened in their lives, and they've made great art about it, and it didn't require them to suffer for it. The important thing for good art, I think, it has to convey a very strong emotion that you had to make it really good. Like, when you know, if you've ever read a book where the writer was writing something about like some either an anxiety or a joy they've had that they felt very strongly and they're very like just true to it it comes across very strongly even for amateur writers i've read stuff by writers who don't have that much experience when they write something that comes from their heart it becomes worth it to read just for the emotional experience of it because people are 
just good at getting across the ideas and feelings of the things they've actually felt very well. I think you put it a lot more eloquently than I did. My opinion on like what makes good fiction is those kind of emotional experiences that stick with you. And if you have real experiences like that to draw on, that can make it all the more powerful. Which is not to say that you should only draw from trauma or draw from sadness or draw from depression. And I think with people, not even just mentally ill writers, but writers of all kind of marginalized identities, they're expected to write on those things or to have like incredibly emotional writing that is based on those experiences that is now up to the perception of the public. But sometimes I think we shouldn't be expected to bear all of our souls, even the parts that we want to keep private, to people just because we hold those identities or have those identities in public. You know, just because I am a person who experiences depression and anxiety does not mean those are the only topics I can write about or am qualified to write about or should be expected to write about. You know, sometimes I want to write a happy story where, you know, two people, uh, I don't know, become witches and live in the forest together and have a happy life. And that should be okay because that can still be good art and that could still be very powerful art, but it doesn't have to be traumatic or depressive. I think people tend to write sadder stories and tend to like get this conception that making art has to be like sad or deal with emotional suffering because it's a lot easier to convey the strong emotions of what it feels like to be sad or depressed or anxious than it is to convey the positive emotions, the things that make life worth living, the joys, the the highs. It's equally as valid and there are tons of great stories that do focus on it, but I think it's a lot harder to write that sort of thing and to convey that well. And I think a lot of people like to just take the shortcut of talking about the harsh things in our world. Yeah, and I think it's funny how we sometimes get people giving us examples of like depression fuels great art and the most common example is Van Gogh. I've seen that used a lot. Van Gogh is, you know, kind of the poster boy for being a very tortured artist. But when he painted Starry Night, he was actually in a place in his life where he was getting treatment for mental health. And not that mental health treatment was, it wasn't as good as in Van Gogh's day as it is now. But I think it's interesting that people just kind of conveniently forget that fact. To be fair, I don't know much about Van Gogh anyway, so. He's dead. Oh, what? Oh my god. What is your relationship towards the tortured artist stereotype or idealization? Uh, I think there's a lot of appeal to everyone because I think when you're making art, I think the most general questions are like we usually get as artistic types or creatives is that like, how do you get your inspiration or how do you come up with the, uh, these ideas or how do you write this out? And they think there has to be some kind of magic sauce that we've been using to, to bring it out or maybe it's like because we're tortured or there's something like, like a demon haunting us. We just have to like make stuff and it's through this intense crucible that we create something beautiful when in reality it's just it's so boring i'm not like drinking like a bunch of 40s of whiskey or whatever i'm just sitting on my bed or sitting on my couch typing away that's it and so with this tortured artist thing it's just more uh more appealing more romanticized and i think it's more dramatic that way and it's fun to grapple right because if you're in an interview what are you going to say? Like, oh, man, I was just sitting on my couch in my sweatpants, just watching some Doctor Who in the background while I type. 
or or, or what would be more interesting to say, oh man, I was like, I was like starving. I was just like writing day and night. I just couldn't, I just couldn't stop it. I was like possessed. I, I had to keep typing, you know, so. I think the romanticization of it and the idealization of it is something that is more appealing to like a broader audience as just what we think about artists are like or how we think artists are like. And there's just almost like a narrative element to it. If you've ever seen Hello Future Me's video essays on writing with mental illness or how mental illness is portrayed in in writing or in video games, he brings up what is known as the good story problem, which in effect is mental illness in how it's portrayed in either like a romantic sense like the tortured artist or in a narrative sense. The, or the way that it works in real life is not conductive of a good story or a good narrative. So typically what you'll see is mental illness being portrayed or a character who has mental illness being portrayed as something they overcome by the end, some demon they have to slay, some dragon they have to conquer. But in reality, mental illness doesn't work that way. You're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days, but it is something that sticks with you for life because that's just how your brain works. And there is no escaping your own brain. Science has not come that far yet. So what can be harmful about that is that people view mental illness as something to get over or something that you just have to fight hard enough to get over where that isn't quite the case i also think with the tortured artist stereotype can like lead people to thinking that because you know you're a tortured artist and from great suffering comes art and they will expect that from you so for example i've been told when i've mentioned that you know i have depression and that can make writing hard for me or i've been going through a depressive episode they'll say like wow like you know that really sucks but think about all this great writing you'll be able to do afterwards and my response is kind of like yeah thanks i would give anything to not exist like this because it's kind of like telling someone who's been diagnosed with cancer, wow, like this really sucks. I'm sorry, you must be going through such a hard time. But think of all the great nonfiction essays that you can get because oh, publishers will just eat this up or just eat up this story. Even though it's well-intentioned, it's kind of not helpful or productive. And so I feel like that's the harm in romanticizing the tortured artist stereotype or reducing mental illness in a narrative sense as something that can be eventually overcome. Roy, what do you think? I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. Fundamentally, I think the tortured artist thing is sort of a hope for karmic justice. We like to believe that, like, you know, the world's a good place and, like, good things happen to good people and that there's a reason for things to suck. And the tortured artist is really nice because it tells you and it lets you believe that, like, man, that artist went through a lot of horrible shit. At least they, like, made great art out of it that makes it worth it, right? It kind of gives a justification or a silver lining to artists who, like, go through it. I understand why it exists. It's a lot more cognitively comforting to be like, oh, well, you know, shitty things happened to this person, but it led to a good result in the end, rather than just being like, they could have made good art. They could have made even better art if they weren't suffering, but they were suffering. So we just got this, like, merely good art. So I think a lot of people just like to believe the tortured artist stereotype because it just it's a nicer model of the way the world works in a way. Yeah, it's it's a nice idea. Either of you have you ever played um, Ocarina of Time? No, I'm I, I'm not a gamer. No, I'm not a nerd like you guys. <laughs> oh, 
So there's a point in Legend of Zelda in, in Ocarina of Time where you go meet a Gorgon and he's like blocking your path to get through and he's like, I'm so depressed I can't move. I will not leave this spot until I like am not depressed anymore. And what you have to do to get him to move is go learn like this song from your forest friend and then take it to him and play it. And then he goes like, oh man, what a hot beat. <laughs> My depression is cured. I'll get right out of the way. I wish it worked like that. I wish so dearly it worked like that, but it does not. And I feel like that's kind of how it is portrayed in narrative. And so for, I guess, a more specific example in Legend of Korra and Anyone who knows me well knows I adore Legend of Korra. But one of my main criticisms of it is in the beginning of the fourth season, Korra is shown to be suffering from PTSD and possibly depression. And it messes with her and, you know, she has to learn how to be a person again despite the massive trauma that she's gone through. But it kind of gets pushed to the sidelines because it turns out there is actually like some physical thing that is hindering her ability to heal. And once she removes said physical thing from her body, she can heal and kind of return to the state where she was before this traumatic event happened. And again, it makes for a good narrative because it's something that you have to overcome and let go to start healing. But in real life, it's very rarely that linear. There isn't something that you can just take out. Like, I wish that there was a bullet shard or like a piece of magic mirror that a witch put into my heart that I could go on a quest to remove. But it just doesn't really work that way. And so there's, yeah, like there's a bit of a cognitive dissonance between what makes a good story, but what is true to life. And when things get lost in translation like that, and because mental illness is so new, how it is portrayed in fiction holds a lot of weight to how people understand it. I don't know what the answer is because we obviously want good stories, but I think there are good stories that are possible to tell with people with um, mental illness or characters with mental illness, but it can be done in a way that shows that it is not something that you can just easily fix. And so the challenge is to do that, but also to make it uh, narratively satisfying. I don't know if there is a way you can write a narrative about mental illness, but never have it come to a satisfying conclusion and a realistic conclusion at the same time. What do you guys think? What about Turtles All the Way Down? I haven't read that book. I know a little bit about it, but could you tell me more? Well, essentially, it follows a main character who has um, OCD. And while I, I think it goes line for line for what you just said, like her OCD is never fully resolved, but it is acknowledged. And she does finally take to her treatment a little more. Anyways, it's been a while since I've read it. Well, yeah, I think it does it quite well in a way where it's, you know, it's not overly dramatized, but it's still there and it, it works. I think it works personally. Do you think it works because it's part of her character or it's an aspect of her character and not necessarily like a, a, a narrative device that needs to be overcome or it's not a it's not a challenge that she faces? It's just a part of her character. Well, I don't know. Like, in the story, well, from what I remember, it's been a while. I read during first year. I think it was more, like, um, part of her character. And during her, her particular arc, it's something, like, just in her way of thinking that she has to overcome to acknowledge it properly in order to get proper treatment, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and, like, the one thing I don't like about these representations, not that I'm saying for Turtles All the Way Down, but, like, it's, like, anything where it's, like, uh, their one defining characteristic is, like, this 
one thing. And it's like, oh, okay, great. You did it? Yeah, that is like a part of you, but like, there's gotta be more, right? Do you, what do you like to eat? What do you, uh, you like lasagna? Huh? Uh, you like to play video games? I don't know. Why don't you tell me? I, I certainly feel that Turtles All the Way Down didn't do that. But, you know, a little, uh, little rant right there for you guys, you know? What about you, Roy? Do you have any examples or do you think that's possible? I think it's very possible to write good portrayals of mental illness in fiction. I see it done a lot. I think usually it's the people who do it well are people who have mental illness themselves and like understand what it's like to live with that. But I don't necessarily think that's a requirement. But I think the biggest thing for me is that they kind of make it obvious, which isn't really how mental illness works. Let's say the stereotypical portrayal of PTSD in the stereotypical portrayal, it's always like, oh, I'm hallucinating, like a vision of a ghost, or like the person that, you know, caused me trauma or whatever, or I have a very direct flashback to the thing that happened. And rarely is mental illness so obvious, or presented so obvious, where it's so direct. In shows, mental illness is usually a very direct thing, where it's like, this thing's causing the problem, and it causes me to feel this way. I needed to solve that problem, then my depression will go away. But like, the thing about mental illness is it's rarely a direct, obvious link. It's sort of something that infects your brain, and the ways it manifests are always like subtle and affect things that are not directly related to the thing that caused it. For example, for my depression, part of me could say that maybe it was caused by like family and school stress when I was young or whatever. But the thing about the way my depression manifests is it's not directly I get sad whenever I hear my family argue or I get depressed when I get stressed out at school. It manifests in a lot of other ways that aren't related to that at all. Sometimes I'll just be sad for no reason. And sometimes I'll have a thing like make me sad, but I won't realize it made me sad until days later. I can only speak specifically for depression, but like... It doesn't manifest obviously. Usually, and I think this is a thing a lot of mental people who write mental illnesses don't acknowledge, usually when I'm depressed, it takes me like a good few hours of meditating and like having a deep emotional conversation with myself to figure out why I'm actually depressed. Whereas in most badly written fiction, people are just are depressed and they immediately know why. They immediately know, oh, this is the thing that's causing my depression. It's very directly linked to this. You can have a reason for it, but the reason needs to be hidden, it needs to be obfuscated, it needs to be something that the protagonist discovers, not something that is, like, they know from the get-go. Because people overcome mental illness in real life. It's hard, it's a tough journey, and it's not at all uh, trivial, but people do do it. It's possible to write narratives about that. And it's possible to write narratives where people don't overcome mental illness and still have happy endings. Just because you have mental illness doesn't mean you can't strive to make your life better and to do things and to improve things. I read a book where the character starts the book depressed and they end the book depressed. But one of the major character beats is realizing that even though they are depressed and they're not going to stop being depressed, they can mitigate it and become better with it if they start being able to actually let themselves rely on other people for things. That is a good story arc. There is meaningful change in the story, meaningful positive growth, but it also doesn't erase the depression. It's definitely possible to write good narratives like that. I find for myself in the ways that my depression and my anxiety manifest is, for example, that workshop I was talking about. It was very subtle, like when I shut down. 
going into an anxiety attack. So just from my personal experience, everything in the room just became way too much. The, the lights were too bright. My friends talking beside me was too much. I couldn't focus. All I could do was stare at the table and tap my foot to like just kind of stop me from exploding or that's what it felt like. And it wasn't until much later when somebody asked me like, hey, were you okay? So it, it's subtle. And in my depression, how it manifests too is it's not like something you would maybe see in fiction or in a movie where, I'm, oh, I'm crying all the time and the world is suddenly gray. It's more like I don't have any motivation to eat even though I have not eaten in the last 18 hours. Or it is difficult for me to reach out to a friend or to a loved one because I have no energy to and because I've convinced myself that they actually hate me <laughs> secretly and always have. And it's terrible. It's a terrible way of feeling and it completely impedes whatever writing or creativity that I want to do. And so one of the things I've learned for myself of just like coping and how I keep enjoying writing even when I'm going through an episode, which by the way, my answer to how do you keep writing going through a depressive episode is I don't. I just kind of have to come to terms with the fact that I have to take it easy on myself when I'm in those situations. So I have to remind myself that when I'm going through a depressive episode or when I'm going through a day that I am depressed, it is okay to not produce anything. And I think what we've learned both in the pandemic and just my own personal journey with mental illness is productivity guilt is an absolute killer because we, not to be the person like, we live in a society, but we live in a society where what you produce is directly tied to your worth. And if you can't produce, it makes you feel really bad. So I've just kind of had to learn and to begrudgingly repeat to myself, it is okay if I don't produce while I'm going through an episode. For my anxiety, what I've realized is like, yeah, writing workshops are a trigger for me. But that's not to say I don't in still enjoy writing workshops. I really do. They're fun and they're a good way to connect with other writers and they're a fantastic way to get feedback. And it's one of the best ways I think you can grow as a writer. And so I definitely don't want to lose that. But I just have to maybe do it differently or in a different way than other people do for myself to feel comfortable. So for example, in that workshop, my solution was to go to my classmates and go to the professor and get help and just ask a million questions sometimes over and over again because that's the only thing that's going to put my mind at ease and make me feel comfortable to actually get that done. The other thing and what Roy and I do sometimes with each other is, and what Jake and I do sometimes with each other, is give each other deadlines for writing. We can hold each other accountable. We have to have a deadline. And because you have a deadline, it kind of forces you to do something, even though it's not good. And of course, like there's, those aren't hard lines, you know, obviously like if Roy and I are having a writing session and Roy's like, or I'm going through an episode, I don't think I can do the session today. I'm not going to be like, uh, what do you mean? You need to get this done. But it's just a way to give myself a little bit of structure, but at the same time, take it easy on myself because there's no point in doing something that brings me joy if there is no joy left in it. Very valid. 
this is just a point for the earlier thing we were talking about about writing characters with depression if you're listening to this podcast trying to learn maybe some techniques to help you better write characters with mental illness i think a really important thing is that people with mental illness don't generally recognize they have mental illness until it like gets pointed out to them or until they like go and like actually talk to someone about it usually people with mental illness just kind of like assume that everything they're going through is normal it's just how people are and they assume that everyone else functions that way or that other people if they don't have depression and are able to be productive that isn't because they have a mental illness it's just because other people are better people at least everyone i've ever known with mental illness i think all of them had like severe symptoms of it even with severe symptoms they just assumed that's how other people lived and they assumed those symptoms were just normal things that were part of living life and it took getting a diagnosis and like being told that they have it to actually start looking at their symptoms and be like wait no that's not normal this is because of ptsd this is not my own thoughts this is not the things that i've decided this is a thought that depression has given me yeah so if you're writing characters with mental illness unless they're characters that are very specifically gone to therapy talk to people learn to be aware about stuff they're probably not going to know that they have an illness. They're probably going to think that the ways they're thinking are totally logical and rational. And again, it's not obvious. They're just going to be like, oh, this is just the way I am. No, I think that's really valid. I didn't feel like I had mental illness until I was pointed out that uh, no, not everyone feels like that. And not everyone goes through periods of days or weeks at a time where uh, they can't get out of bed or eat or function as a human being. That's just not normal. Or people who just convince themselves that all of their friends and family secretly hate them and always have. Like, that's just not true. One of the more insidious aspects of mental illness is that you don't always realize you have it. Jake, do you have any thoughts to add in? I'm interested to hear what you have to say. I was just wondering, how would you write that out? Because th that's the thing is, if I write about a character and they just keep talking about how they're tired or feeling or really fatigued to, to a reader or just to some stranger. Like, they look at you, they hear these things, like, oh, you're just lazy. And so how would you maybe push that across a little more? I was like, oh, maybe uh, I'd describe uh, depression as, like, a demon or something. And Well, then you're not describing depression. That's the thing. You can write depression as a demon, but then it's not really depression. It's just the demon that makes you sad. The thing is with mental illness, often depicting it allegorically completely misses the point of what it is to live with it. Depression isn't a fantasy thing. It's not a sci-fi thing. It's not some magical realism thing. It's a real-life thing. And sure, you can use fantasy and sci-fi and magical realism as allegories for real-life things, but I think getting rid of the mundanity of mental illness kind of detooths mental illness itself. If you want to write it, I mean, it really depends on what you want out of it as a writer. You don't have to have everyone in the audience get the characters depressed you could write a story where a character is depressed never explicitly state it and some people won't get that the character is depressed and depending on the story that might be fine if it is really important that like the character is like acknowledged to be depressed you can have other characters that are like even from the point of view of that character they might not realize it but other characters are definitely going to be like the way they're acting the way they're feeling is definitely not normal or healthy it really depends on like if you want to communicate it very clearly or if it doesn't really matter. Usually for me, I don't think it really matters if the audience knows or not because the important part is 
how depression affects the character and you can write that out you can write out they're tired you can write out the negative thoughts it gives them you can write out how it feels you don't need to explicitly state this character very specifically as clinical depression from the dsm v the dsm5 i agree with roy in that allegory can be a powerful tool and often is especially in areas like um, spec fic and sci-fi and fantasy but the the key there is it doesn't necessarily portray how depression or anxiety or any kind of other mental illness functions and there and again we come across the good story problem if depression is a demon that makes you sad all you have to do is exercise the demon but we know that with real life or in at least my experience how depression works is you can push the demon off of you but one of these days it's gonna crawl right back up your back and there's really nothing you can do about it i think it's interesting roy that you said like you can show a character being depressed without it explicitly stating it and how it feels so you can show a character you know having a difficult time reaching out to loved ones having a difficult time scheduling therapy feeling negative thoughts and negative feelings all the time or not functioning without saying they're depressed so say a character is in bed and like can't get up and there might be a scene about like i know i have all these things today but i I, i'm just gonna choose to stay in bed because i'm so depressed and i can't move but that's not quite it either it's not conscious choice to not do anything or to not function it is because my brain is not making the right chemicals to allow me to function as a neurotypical person would. I can't just go, I will simply choose for my brain to make the right amount of serotonin and get her on with my day. That's not quite how it works. And so I think if you're going to portray it in a character, you have to show how it feels. And if they're going to start the story depressed, they should maybe end the story depressed because it's not something that you can conquer easily you can't just you know one and done now it's gone forever and i don't have to worry about it anymore but there is a way to portray it and portray how it's like living with it without it being a solvable problem and without it being portrayed as i'm making a choice to be like this an important thing to note is also it very heavily depends on like what medium you're using writing in prose writing in comics writing in tv all these different mediums the way you depict depression is gonna and do it well is gonna differ a lot between mediums. Each medium has its own strength, and the way those strengths interact with depression means that a writer who writes in prose is gonna have a lot better time describing what it feels like to live with depression, whereas I think a person who's like making a movie or a TV show is gonna have to put less work into how it feels and more what behaviors come as a result. You know, I got a question for you guys. So I was thinking of the. Um this episode in BoJack Horseman, where basically Diane was, like, trying to write a specific thing. Then, you know, since she's, like, on medication all night, she started finding that she was writing other stuff, but didn't really, like, jive with what she thinks, person she is, and how she should act. So my question for you guys is, has your art changed in any way before after recognizing, diagnosing, and all that stuff? For me, at least, no, but that's more out of the fact that I started taking antidepressants before I even started doing art, really. For me, it's not necessarily the work that I produce itself. It's more my process in creating it. So because I don't necessarily write a lot of stories, at least right now, that have to deal with themes about depression or anxiety or mental illness, I don't think I've noticed a change in that way. 
but in my own process coming to realize that this is an issue that I deal with and that there are ways that I can deal with it in a healthy way or just has affected the way that I write. But if there is a story that I'm writing that is um, emotional, there is like some emotional truth I can draw from, but that emotional truth isn't necessarily directly connected to a depressive episode. They can be linked because these are all things that I feel, but it's not explicitly about depression. But for me, even though since being kind of diagnosed and getting treatment for my mental illness, I've just had to realize like, okay, this is what about my process is not working and it's just not agreeing with my brain and this is how we have to change it. So like I said before, allowing myself days where I don't have to produce anything or allowing myself to ask a million questions to my workshop or critique partners because that's just how I have to function to get anything done. That has changed just because it's changed with an understanding of myself and with getting treatment and seeking treatment. When does the sauce come back to you? Sauce doesn't fucking exist. <laughs> I just, I'm going to assume that the sauce is like writing inspiration. At least for me, this is something I didn't mention in terms of like how my depression manifests, but for me, depression and writing is just a constant cycle of being like, should I really be writing? Like, this thing kind of sucks. It's awful. I mean, I love it. I love it so much. But it's also like, what the fuck is the point? And I think a big thing for me as being a depressed person and like actually coming to make it so I can write is understanding that writing just sucks and that's kind of part of it. But the end product is worth it for me. So the sauce never comes back. There is no writing sauce. It's just pain and then I make something that I like. And it's like, ooh, nice. I'm a masochist. Time to do it again. I guess there's definitely some points for me where I'm just like in the sauce and I'm like, oh yeah, like I'm really in the zone right now. I can get 1500 words and I feel great and I feel like good about what I've written and I can't wait to workshop it and I can't wait to edit it and revise it. Tomorrow I'm going to feel this hot streak again. And I'm going to write another 1500 words and then I wake up tomorrow and oops, now I'm in an episode. And that project now gets put away for maybe even a couple weeks and that's just kind of how it is sometimes so you can be hit with like moments of inspiration or or at least try to work it into your routine so instead of just like writing when i'm inspired because those are very few and far between i'll try to make some kind of a routine for it so like maybe in a week i'm like okay a goal is 500 words because that's what i can reasonably handle but if your depressive episode hits or if I have an anxiety attack, guess what? That goal is not going to be met and that's just how it is. So it's not so much of like when you get back in the sauce, it's, it's more of like when are you well enough to continue back onto your project or continue your routine. For the most part, you're just going to kind of stand in a middle ground where I've decided like, okay, here's my goal for the week to write X amount of words. They're going to be garbage, but that is okay. Let's go. And it just is going to depend, like everything else and every other aspect in my life, how my mental health is doing and how I'm going to get that done or if I'm going to get that done. All right. So in spite of all this apparent self-doubt, why do you guys keep returning to writing anyways? I like good prose. I love good prose, actually. I think I remember the specific reason I started wanting to do writing was like when I was 15. I read some story and there was just a passage that I was like, wow, 
reading this passage is like really nice like it's fun to read this i think anyone who's read good beautiful prose knows what i'm talking about there's a beauty to prose that i don't think i've experienced in any other art form and the reason i write and the reason i come back to writing is as much as i want to try doing other things like art or music i ultimately come back to damn do i love me some good prose and damn do i want to try to create some good prose that communicates things that i think and believe in it's nice to have ownership over things and to feel like that you can like make something or contribute your ideas to the world in some way and i just like the idea of making nice beautiful prose i remember one time i was at a bookstore of a friend and um, she was asking for book recommendations and i offhandedly said uh you should read the catch in her eye and so we went there we picked it up she read the first page and afterwards she turned to me wow it really spoke to me so now i want to ask you these good pros you keep talking about, do you write them more for you or for others? Honestly, it depends, because sometimes I do write for others, but that's usually on, like, requests by, like, friends. I would say I write it more for myself. I like the satisfaction of, like, writing something, making it, and then going back and reading it and being like, wow, that's really good. I, I like what I said there. Don't get me wrong, love sharing it with other people and stuff, but, but I think at the end of the day, the thing I really write for is the satisfaction of having created something good for myself even if i never shared it with other people i think i would still you know keep writing just because of that like satisfaction i i like to imagine it's what it's like to create nice beautiful art to like draw something really pretty is there's just an aesthetic enjoyment from looking at it even if it's something that you yourself created and obviously you like it when you show art to other people as well and you like to have other people enjoy it but fundamentally, it's for yourself. Okay, Bree? I view continuing to write not something I do because of my depression or anxiety, but something I do in spite of it. Writing is just an art form that I think I'm kind of okay at and that I like sharing with other people. I like telling stories. I kind of always have. And um, because I also write poetry and I listen to poetry, you know, when I go out to poetry readings or when I still could go out to poetry readings and I would hear like a really powerful poem. There's just something that kind of ignites inside me of I want to do something like that. I want somebody else to feel empowered or to feel good about something that I've written. Not to say that I write entirely for others because I have certain stories that I want to tell and it's just kind of a byproduct that other people might enjoy them. But I think also, even maybe more selfishly, and I guess warning because this might get a little dark, being a teenager and kind of at the first time realizing that I have depression, and I went through almost like a year-long depressive episode when I was 14, that I did not expect to make it out of alive. Because when you deal with like suicidal thoughts and suicidal ideations, and you don't expect yourself, you know, to live past 15, now I'm out in the world and writing and finding something that I can produce. I want to make my mark on the world. And not to say that I want, you know, I want to be like a New York Times bestselling author and like I've sold a million copies of my book or something. But there's just some kind of feeling in me that maybe someday somewhere out there, there is a person who is going to read whatever I've written and it's going to impact them. Even if that impact is I had a line in my poem that they really liked or I, I wrote a story that they enjoyed or that made them smile. And so that to me is just 
why I continue to do what I do. Not just because I, I want to share things and, and make people feel good and I have stories that I want to tell, but also because there's a thought that my work and my words will outlive me. That's just an idea that I really like. Your own mortality is a great motivator into getting to write. Because sometimes I'm like, oh man, I have all the time in the world. And then there's like that nagging little voice in the back of my brain that's like, yeah, but climate change. And I'm like, oh shit, you're right. Better get writing. What I can boil down from what I just heard is that you want to be heard. And, you know, maybe along the way, have other people feel like that they've felt heard? Yeah, I think so. I want people to you know maybe relate to things or if I can make them feel less alone I, in that sense I think there's more like of a of a queer aspect because like my mental illness my queerness affects all aspects of my life I am very gay I live a very gay life but <laughs> you're allowed to laugh at that by the way it was a joke ah. but okay but for the same reasons I you know like writing queer representation because it's something I never got and there might be someone out there someday who like needs to read that or is at least comforted by reading that. That's kind of how I view writing. Maybe this like little romance story that I have in the anthology, it's not something that's going to be immortalized. It's not, you know, the next great Canadian short story, but it's something that I worked hard on and something that I hope that makes people smile. So when I had written that, I actually got like a message from one of our other like anthology authors who read my story and just sent me a message and said like, hey, this really impacted me. I really liked it. Thank you for writing it. And that meant the world to me that something I had done had had even the smallest impact on someone else. And that's kind of the feeling that I always want to chase because even though my life on earth is short and finite, what I write down could live on and I have a chance to impact people and impact people's lives and maybe bring a little bit of joy. And that's something that I treasure very much and I don't take it lightly. As a response to you, Bree, I was thinking of, about the reason why we write. To me, I feel like we write because it has to be us. Because there's like this one thing that we each have to say. It could be about perseverance, comedy, whatever, it doesn't matter. But it felt it feels uniquely us. And it's this one us that we want to portray. And I think that's because deep down, whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter. But we believe that's like our truest self. In spite of like whatever else is like in our lives. Like what we put out is what we want to be seen as instead of everything else. You, there's this one part of us that we think is like the most truest of everything else, no matter how prominent of it is in our lives. And we want that to be heard instead as like a sort of like antithesis. So what you kind of want to be remembered for versus what you may be remembered for. Yeah, exactly. Yes and no, I guess is kind of what I want to say because... Yes, I do, you know, want to be remembered for the way I can, you know, maybe impact other people or like the power of my written words and, and what they hold. But I don't think saying, oh, she suffered from mental illness, uh, but we shouldn't remember her like that. We have to remember her for the ways that she, she touched our lives or, or how good her art was or how good her writing was. No one is saying this about me, by the way. I promise my ego is not that big. I don't think that because I think... Part of the stigma around mental illness is thinking like that and that like mental illness is, you know, something to be overcome or hidden away or not something we should not focus on that. But in reality, that's just a part of who I am. I don't think they should be 
discounted when remembering who I am. I don't think they can be completely separated because I feel very strongly that the art that a person creates is influenced by who they are and their experiences and that that is something that can create really good artwork. And so I don't think, for me anyway, it's possible to completely divorce the two. All right, so let me guess. You're in the camp that uh, the author is not dead or something? Oh, are we getting into death of the author right now? I think you can like totally separate works of art from the author, more or less. I disagree with the, like the idea that somehow the things we write are a truer version of ourselves or a like more innate version of who we are. I mean, I I definitely can see writers who would want to present a certain version of themselves and maybe feel like it's communicating a deeper version of themselves than maybe than maybe they do when they you know are just existing normally but i don't feel like when i write i'm communicating or wanting to even communicate something truer about myself in a lot of ways writing is just fancy lying and it feels reductionist to say the things i write are the true version of myself it feels like it's cutting off all the other aspects of who i am and how i live I don't think anyone could ever really communicate who they truly are through writing alone. Who a person truly is is a really complex, multifaceted thing. I'm sure some people want to try to do that. I think it's more an idealized version of anything rather than a true version. No, the point is to like prune and trim. You know, edit yourself. But then it's not true. Well, what does it matter? You're saying we're trying to present a deeper, truer version of ourselves. I don't know. I feel like there are certain lies we tell ourselves to get our, get ourselves through things. And if it's if it works, it works, right? Are you saying that's a lie you tell yourself to get yourself to write? No, no. What I'm, what I'm saying is we sometimes build narratives for ourselves, like whether fictional or non-fictional, in order to present a truth that we want. I think it's impossible to communicate the true self. Because, like, what is a true self? Surely a book I write if it's fiction is not a reflection of everything that i am because how could it be all right fine all right well let's end this podcast on an uplifting note so what are some of your favorite coping mechanisms or things you do to cope and maybe they're not even fully related to treating mental illness but maybe they're just something you like to do to put your mind at ease or things you like to do that bring you joy You know, I have, like, dark humor, and for me, dark humor means, like, picking fun at myself or making jokes at my own expense. I like to do things like astrology. I like to look at my sign. I have a tarot card reading app on my phone. I like to burn incense because... Jesus Christ. Jake, shut the fuck up. I like to burn incense in my room because I feel like it brings, like, some, some good energy, some good vibes, and it just makes my room smell nice. Just, like, small practices like this, like, put my mind at ease. They are not a cure. I am not saying that they are a cure or a treatment for mental illness. I have actual medicine and doctors and therapists I go to for that. But they are things that, I don't know, just make me feel nice and just bring a little bit of joy into my life. So before I write, I might sit down and light a stick of incense just to bring some good energy my way. Roy, is there anything in your life that brings you joy? I like to distract myself. My coping mechanism other than meditating is just to like play video games or listen to music or just like distract myself with like funny cat videos. Anything that gets my mind off of it. 
I find generally helps because depression, at least for me, is really is a spiral that just gets worse and worse the more you think about it. So sometimes I just got a hard reset and be like, okay, no more thinking, smooth brain, do things that require no effort and no thought and are just like mindlessly enjoyable. Do you find yourself sometimes like watching when you just need to like turn your brain off, watching just like mindless television? So, for example, I don't want to watch something that's, like, very deeply philosophical or emotional. I'm going to watch Hell's Kitchen, and I'm going to watch Gordon Ramsay yell at someone because their salmon is raw. Not specifically television, but just, like, dumb YouTube videos. Or, like, just throw, like, a streamer on and just, like, think no thoughts. Jake, is there something that you do that brings you joy? I don't know. I just surf the web. I write. I enjoy the occasional anime. There you go. That's a very good answer. All right. Well, thank you both Roy and Jake again so much for being guests and talking with me on this episode of CrewCast. I loved hearing both of your opinions and getting to share these things with you. And I hope you at home listening also enjoyed. Until next time, I've been Bree. Thank you for tuning in to CrewCast and we'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Uh, adios.